1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. Morning. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Maybe you be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated. If you are just joining us, we're in the middle of a series uh, called Grace Over Disgrace, and we're walking verse by verse through the book of First Peter. Um, uh, we took a break last week to have... Uh, Brother BJ here with us. Man, what an amazing week. Uh, amen. He uh, talked to him quite a bit even this weekend and just was uh, so grateful for him and his uh, preparing and the teaching of God's Word. Uh, I pray that you were blessed um, from his teaching. He did a great job of walking us through how our uh, faith in Christ and Christ alone uh, differs from that of the Catholic Church. He just did a, a masterful job of doing that. And this morning we will jump back in here to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 through 21. If you've been with us, you know we've been looking at chapter 1 and how Peter says to us in the first few verses, you are called out of the dark into the light. And then in the previous, the next few verses, he's walking us through what does it mean to be called out ones? What does it mean to be uh, the elect ones? What does it mean to be the church? And he walks us through what that looks like. He says to us, hey, there's going to be even suffering. When you come to know me, there will be suffering. And then he walks us through what the suffering looks like. And then he gives us the hope. Now, this is what you are to hope for. Uh, our salvation and our uh, justification, our redemption. And here this morning, we're going to look at what the title of the message is the wonder of redemption or the wonders of being redeemed. Uh, those two words Throughout uh, the New Testament can be used interchangeably. The word redeem means this. Uh, you'll see uh, this is not in our text this morning. It is in the text we use the word ransom uh, this morning. But the word redeem means to buy up, uh, to rescue from. The word ransom means to release effect of a payment. So this morning we're looking at God has called us or redeemed us or has ransomed us. That God, through Christ Jesus, has paid the price for us. That is what redemption means. Uh, and here's what one uh, writer says about an old writer, an old Puritan writer says about uh, the work of redemption. Uh, I want you to catch this. This is a, a great way and a great place for us to start this morning. Uh, Thomas Watson said this, Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It costs more to redeem us than to make us. Let's think about that just for a moment. Here's this writer. He says, great is the work of creation, but greater is the work of redemption. You see, the work of redemption costs more to God himself uh, than the work of creation, is what the writer is saying. In the one, there was but a speaking of the word. Remember, uh, in, in John or in Genesis, all that God had to do was speak and it happened. That's creation. 
God said it and it was. God said it and it was. Six days of that was creation. Just the very words of God putting things into place was the act of creation. And the other, catch this, the other, the shedding of blood, Luke 1, 51. The creation was but the work of God's finger. Psalm 8, 3 says this, redemption is the work of his arm. Let me read that whole thing without taking a pause because we've got to catch what Thomas Watson is saying here. Great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In the one there was but the speaking of the word, and in the other the shedding of blood. The creation was but the work of his fingers, and redemption was the work of his arms. Amen? We must start there this morning. And so, we, we will use the word redemption and to be redeemed and ransomed. Those three words we'll use interchangeably. So if you think, well, he just used another R word. We're, I'm going to use all three of them throughout this message, and they all mean the same thing. They all mean that we've been bought with a price. And we've been redeemed back to God the Father, not of the works of ourselves. You see, redemption deals with the cost of salvation and the means by which God receives the payment. If you want to know what the word redeem means for us this morning, it simply means this. I'll say it again, take note. Redemption deals with the cost of salvation and the means by which God receives payment. And here's the deal for us in the room this morning. We all are in need of God's redemptive work. Every single one of us. We saw that throughout the, the, the week last week that uh, BJ was teaching us in Romans chapter 3, 23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in this room this morning, we all need the act of being redeemed. We need a redeemer, if you will. And so this morning we're going to look at three things about redemption that are so key for us in our salvation. It's so key for us here in First Peter it's so key for us as, what does it mean? Remember, if we were with us the last two weeks before we went to a revival, God called us through Peter to live holy lives. Well, how are we going to live holy lives? The only way to live a holy life is the, to live a redeemed life. And that's what he's going to tell us here this morning. And so we'll look at three things in this passage this morning. The three things are this. What did God redeem us from? We've got to know that. If God redeemed us, we've got to know what he redeemed us from. We've got to understand that there is a redemption that's been paid for us and there's a purpose for that redemption. What did he redeem us from? Second thing we'll look at this morning is what did God redeem us with? Or how did God redeem us? That's very, very crucial. And then the last one, if he redeemed us from something, he redeemed us with something, then what did he redeem us for? See, he can't just redeem us from something if he gives us no hope into redeeming us to something else. And so Peter tells us, he, this is what he redeemed you from, this is what he redeemed you with, or this is how he redeemed you, and this is the purpose that he redeemed you. This is the purpose that, that we're going to look at that he redeemed us for. So let's look at the first uh, part. What did God redeem us from? Let's look at uh, 1 Peter 1. Verse 18 
Uh, I'll read the whole thing. Knowing that you've been ransomed or redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, which is with imperishable things such as silver or gold. And so the first thing we see, we will go back to a few, few things. There's two things in this passage alone that he redeemed us from. There's two other things in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14. I taught on this a few weeks ago. This is what he redeemed us from. As obedient children, there's, he's saying to us, as children of God, we're redeemed children. As obedient children, do not get, be conformed any longer to the passions of your former ignorance. And so here in verse 18, he's going to go back to 14 to say, okay, remember that you've been redeemed from something. So the first thing that we see that God redeemed us from was uh, the flesh, our passions. He says that, do not be conformed any longer what to the passions or to the lust. So God is saying, I've redeemed you from how you used to be. I've redeemed the flesh in you. You remember from, we talked in it in Galatians chapter 5. You can turn there, Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 21. This is what you've been redeemed from. Verse 16 through 21. Paul says, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify what the desires of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit as redeemers, we will no longer gratify the flesh. So we've been redeemed by the flesh. What is the flesh that we've been redeemed from? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So Paul is saying to us, we need to be redeemed from the flesh because if we aren't redeemed from the flesh, we'll continue to go back and live the fleshly desires that are in us unless we've been redeemed from the flesh. And so what are the things of the flesh that we've been redeemed from? But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are this, are our evidence. This is, take note, this is what you have been redeemed from as a child of God this morning. It says the first one is this, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Catch that last phrase. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How come they won't inherit the kingdom of God if they do those things? Those things say that they are no longer, uh, that they aren't redeemed, that they live in the flesh. And so as children of God, we must live lives according to that. And he's saying here in this passage, hey, you have been bought with a price, you've been redeemed. What have you been redeemed from? All the desires of your flesh. Now, I know we don't always live that way. And that's the beauty of forgiveness. That's the beauty of repentance. But the first thing, that now that the flesh no longer has dominion over us, but the redeemed child as children of God, Christ now is over us. So we've been redeemed by the flesh. Do we live lives that show to a lost world we've been redeemed by the flesh, of, of the flesh? Or is your life marked with sexual immorality? 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies. Is that your life? Because if you're living a life like that, you are not living a life that shows to a lost world that you've been redeemed. And so as children of God, we live lives that are redeemed from the flesh. Amen? Which is such a great, great, great gift from God. I no longer have to live those things. I no longer have to live a life that is contrary to the Spirit because of what Christ has done for me. You see, I've said it here from this pulpit before. When I come to know Christ, not only has the penalty of, of uh, sin been taken care of, that's the wrath of God, but now the very power of sin no longer has dominion over my life. We'll get to glory. The glory is the presence of sin. You and I will always live on this planet in the presence of sin. We can't escape that. But what we can escape is the power of sin itself. I, don't, I no longer have to live under those things. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? So I no longer have to live in the flesh. I live in the Spirit. And the Spirit is, you can look at the message a few weeks ago, or the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. I no longer live for the flesh. I now, because I'm redeemed, I no longer live in the flesh. I live in the Spirit. So that's the first thing that we see that we've been redeemed from. Amen, that we've been redeemed of the flesh. Thank the Lord for that. That's hopeful. The second thing is the former ignorance. We see that in verse 14. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So we've been delivered from or redeemed from our desires of the flesh, and now we've been redeemed from our former ignorance. What does that mean? Let's flip over to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. He's talking about unbelievers before their redemption. He says this in chapter 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. So in other words, what we could say is it's not just the former ignorance, but their ignorance comes from a hardened heart. See, it's my hardened heart that uh, did not allow me to see and participate in the things of the Lord, which led me, because I had a hardened heart, led me to straight-up ignorance. There was a lot of things before salvation. I just did not know what the difference was between right and wrong. I I had no conviction uh, about drinking. I had no conviction about drugs. I had no conviction about sex before marriage. I had none of those convictions because of my ignorance but really due to a hardening of the heart. And yet now, because I'm a Christ follower, I now have a redeemed heart. It's what uh, Ezekiel says, I'll take the heart of stone out of you, and I'll place the heart of flesh in you. So no longer now can I say, well, I'm just an ignorant man. As believers, we cannot claim ignorance, because we've been redeemed from our ignorance. 
Because it's no longer I who live again, but Christ who lives in me. That means the Holy Spirit now dwells in me. If the Holy Spirit dwells in me, regardless of if I know it to be true or not, the Holy Spirit will bring what he calls conviction. And so I've been redeemed from a hardened of, of our hearts, which leads to our ignorance. But now once the Holy Spirit has been implanted in us, in our salvation, we can no longer claim ignorance because the Spirit of God now lives in you. And when you have the Spirit of God in you, He will always, always bring conviction. It's just, what do we do with the conviction? But I'll never forget, I did not know Christ at all uh, when I was 18 years old. Came to know Christ at one of the corniest things that the church ever created called a lock-in. I don't know why the church created them, and as a youth pastor, they were horrible. But that's how I came to know Christ. So I I have some liking to lock-ins. I came to know Christ, 18 years old, a lock-in. I uh, went to, church, to school that Monday, told all my friends at the lunch table. They all uh, got up and left me, and I was high and dry sitting at a lunch table with about 2,000 people in this lunchroom. And I thought, man, this is not what I signed up for. No, I didn't sign up for this. Well, that next weekend, all my buddies said, hey, man, we're going uh, again. I don't recommend this. First, don't go to Galveston, Texas. That's where we went to uh, hang out at the beach. Uh, that's a cesspool uh, in a lot different ways, uh, not just the water. So we went down to Galveston, Texas for the weekend uh, to hang out and do a, a party at the beach. And in that moment at the beach, I thought to myself, this is not a good idea. It was called conviction. For the first time in my life, I'm at a party and not having fun any longer at the party but I chose to do away with my conviction because I didn't want to be lonely, and I, and I drank. In that moment, I got to church that Sunday night. I don't know what the brother uh, from the pulpit said. I just cried like a little baby for the next hour and ten minutes of church. But it was the first time in my life that I remember conviction because what happened was the weekend before, God had removed my heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in it, and so I had a heart of conviction. No one had to tell me drinking was wrong because the Holy Spirit had already told me. And whatever that is in your life, as a believer, as a redeemed child of God, the ignorance has been redeemed. Amen? Now, we don't always like to say that. Well, I just didn't know. Yes, you did. You have the Spirit of God in you. You know right from wrong. God is not going to put the Spirit in us and then let us continue to make poor choices without telling us they're poor choices now we'll continue to make poor choices but it won't because we didn't know better the holy spirit now resides in us the third thing we see is this this is a great promise for us it's in cha chapter 1 verse 18 so we've been redeemed uh, by god from our our flesh we've been now redeemed from God by the renewing of our minds. The third thing is the futile ways that we lived. Right? That's what he says. Knowing that you were, what, ransomed or redeemed or had a re redemption from what? Your futile ways. Here's the thing about futile ways. Here's what that Greek word means. Futile here means that if you are an unbeliever, we were worthless and useless 
that even the, the, the greatest things I did were worthless and useless. That means that no matter what had been going on, none of us had any matter to us at all. Like none of us can have this claim, like, see what I did? Like, I, I can't, this is going to sound horrible, but when Bill Gates gets to heaven and says, see what I did with my millions of billions and billions of dollars, God's going to say, it didn't matter. Because it's worthless to him. He tells us that our greatest righteousness apart from Christ are but filthy rags. And those rags are not talking about uh, rags that you find uh, at, at the mechanic shop. I'll say it that way. They're feminine rags is what the word literally means. It's for feminine hygiene. They're filthy rags. Our greatest thing that we do apart from God are still considered worthless and useless. This is how Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return of his soul? And so for us, this morning, we've been redeemed from our uselessness. Here's another way that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Now this I testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as Gentiles in the futility of your mind. He's saying, now you no longer walk that way. Now you no longer walk as if you have filthy rags. Now you no longer walk in unrighteousness. But now because you are in Christ, you are righteous. And now it's no longer God that looks at us, but it's God that looks us at us through Christ Jesus. Amen? So now we no longer are useless and purposeless. We now have great value. And it's not because of anything you've done. It's because of what God has done for you and through you at the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have great value. And so when Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 16, for what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? we begin to realize when Christ, the Holy Spirit, is in us that this world has everything, but it has nothing for me at all. That if all we're striving for is achievement in this world, we will be lost as lost can be. Is our job and what we find satisfaction in our job more than what we find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone? Like if God stripped everything from you except the precious blood of Jesus Christ, would it still be enough for you? If all I had, we go back and you look at the story of Job. At the end, at the end, before God re, uh, replenishes all that Job had, God and God alone was enough for Job. In that last moment, Job begins to declare all the goodness of God. You've got to remember, all of his kids were smashed dead. All of his flock, gone. All of his money, gone. All of his homes, gone. 
my brother Job is sitting there with nothing, and yet he can praise God for everything that he has. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? Because if it's true, we can get right here, we can point back to this, that we've been redeemed from our futile ways. That Christ and Christ alone is enough for us. And the last one. This is the scariest one for me to teach here. He says it this way. In verse 18. We've been redeemed from the flesh. We've been redeemed from a hardened heart. We've been redeemed from living meaningless, purposeful lives. And then he says this in verse 18. Your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. The next thing that he redeems us of is from tradition. God has redeemed us from tradition. Now, there's a lot of great things about tradition. Like, there's great things about tradition, especially here in the church. But what happens in the church is that tradition trumps the gospel in so many ways. That we get to this place of, well, we've always done it that way. Well, we've always done it that way. Well, I would venture to say we haven't always done it that way. We haven't always had a working toilet, so we haven't always done it that way. We haven't always done it that way. We haven't always had an AC in this place. We haven't always had carpet. How I know that? We ripped the carpet out. We have great, beautiful floor underneath here. So we haven't always done it that way. I don't even want to get into the part of the theological implications of when we say we've always done it that way. You see, over and over, this is what happened to the people in the New Testament. They kept saying, that's what Jesus came for to begin with. It's because they had the saying, we've always done it that way. That's what we spent six, seven months for in uh, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. Because he kept saying, you say you've always done it this way, but I say do it this way. So he's come and he's even redeemed us of our tradition. Now, I'm not saying we blow tradition out of the water. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying we need to look at what do we hold more valuable, tradition or the gospel. And if the gospel is, is trumpeted by tradition, then we've got to get rid of tradition. And here's how I know that. These are not my words. These are Christ's words from Christ alone. It's Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 through 9. He says this about tradition and about traditionalists. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but the heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of man. Jesus is saying, do we hold tradition over the gospel? You see, because as redeemed men and women, we've been redeemed from our tradition. And trust me when I say this, thank God he's come and redeemed us from our tradition. Because if we still held on to tradition, you and I would have to come into this place every single Sunday to make a sacrifice. 
Every single time we sin, we'd have to go and find a spotless lamb to make a sacrifice for our sinfulness. That's what tradition said. But thank God he sent Christ to obliterate tradition. Amen? We have been set free from tradition. And so what do we worship? Do we worship Christ or do we worship tradition here at Powell's Chapel? The next thing that we see is what did God redeem us with? He tells us this. Knowing that you have been ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or a spot. You see, Peter says this, you've been redeemed at a great cost. It cost God something to redeem us. I pray we never forget that. Redemption is not cheap. Redemption costs God alone, his son, Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price, is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 23. You were bought with a price. Therefore, do not be bondservants of man. Do you and I realize the price that was paid for us? Here's the other thing that this verse tells us. As we find it in Psalm chapter 49, verses 7 and 8. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Verse 8. For the ransom of their life is costly. You see, we've been bought with a great price. I pray that we will never forget the price that we've been bought with. Here's what one writer says. John MacArthur says this. No amount of money could redeem people's souls from the bondage of sin. Here's what this is saying to us, that when he says that you have been redeemed, you've been caught with, you've been paid for with a price, and that price isn't of perishable things. He's saying to us, you can't buy your own ransom. You could not ransom yourself back to God. There's not enough money on this planet to give to God to be redeemed by God. Another way to put it is, there's not enough good works for you to do to be redeemed by God. Somebody else had to pay the price for you and I to be redeemed. And thank God, we no longer have tradition. That's where God sent his son Jesus for us. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 52, verse 3. Isaiah 53 and 54, if you get a chance, read that. Read those two chapters they talk about the redemptive work of christ and christ alone but this is what he says right before chapter in chapter 52 he says this for there for thus says the lord you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money and then he goes into what the redemptive price cost let me read that again you were sold for nothing he's talking to the israelites when they were sold into slavery they weren't sold for any money they were just taken into slavery you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money you weren't sold for money you won't be redeemed with money so what did God redeem us with what did he say here verse 18 knowing that you were ransomed 
not with the perishable things such as silver or gold. See, we got to know what uh, we can't do first before we know what was done for us. So there's nothing that you and I can do to redeem ourselves. Amen? And so he says, but this is how you were redeemed, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or a spot. Here's another way that Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That verse is talking about the imputation of Christ. I know that's a big word, but the word imputation simply means this that there was something that was placed on Christ on our behalf. So that there was something imparted to God for our behalf. So the imputation of Christ was that there was sin, the one who knew no sin, took on all of our sin so that we would not have to face the wrath of God. Thank God for God's work of impartation of Christ and Christ alone. This is where we get that idea. Have you ever heard oh man, there's just a scapegoat. You ever heard that expression? Well, that's a biblical expression. What it means to be a scapegoat, what, what a scapegoat was, was that the Israelites would come and they'd come and they'd confess their sin over and over and over and over again to the priest. And the priest would then go find what? A spotless lamb. A lamb without blemish. The best of the best of the best in the flock. And the the... the the Levite would, or the priest would take that lamb, they'd tie a, a cord around its neck, a, a, a red cord around its neck, and then they would place all the sins of the people onto this lamb and then they, or onto this goat, and then they would take the goat and they would push the goat out of the, the middle of town as a symbol of there goes our sin with the scapegoat. That goat now takes on our sin. And thank God we don't have to do that any longer. And that's what happened the moment at the cross. The moment at the cross when Christ finally died, finally let go of his life, all the sins of the world, past, uh, present, and future sins, were placed on Christ and Christ alone. The one who knew no sins, the perfect spotless lamb became for us the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we could enjoy God forever and ever and ever. Amen? And so God, the next thing that we see is this. Not only did God use His precious Son's blood to redeem us, but even more importantly, verse uh, 20 for he, God, for Christ, excuse me, in verse 20, he, Jesus, was what? Foreknown before the foundations of the world, but he, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. You see, here's the deal. When Adam and Eve fell, God did not have to go to plan B because God always had a plan A. God's plan before creation would ever put together before the words of God ever spoke. He had a plan for our redemption. Amen to that. You see, God's plan of Christ 
wasn't his second best, it was his very best. That God knew before creation ever happened that his plan was to redeem mankind because he knew mankind would fall. And so he had a plan in place for when they fell. And it was Christ and Christ alone. And here's the deal, even Christ, because Christ was with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, Christ knew the plan before it ever happened. That, I don't know about you, that's why I don't use um, PCs, I only use Macs, but when I used to use a PC, they would just always freeze, Macs don't, that's a cheap commercial for Macs. But my brain acts like a PC. When I start thinking about that kind of stuff, it's like just goes into overdrive and just kind of shuts off on me. But if I think about that, man, before the creation of the world, before Adam and Eve were ever created, God had a plan to redeem them because he knew they'd fall. And Jesus, from day one, from moment one, if there was ever a moment, said yes. So that when it came almost four some thousand years later, and Christ is in the garden, and he's praying to God, he says what? Not my will in this moment, but yours will be done. What was the will of the Father? The will of the Father started 4,000 years before that time. That wasn't a moment 2,000 years ago where God said, ah, man, this isn't going so well. We, we better do something else, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We better call an audible. This was not God's audible. This was God's plan from the get-go. And God's plan from the get-go was to redeem us. Amen? Thank God for God's redemption through Christ and Christ alone. Thank God for the blood of Christ. It was costly. It was pricey. And it was precious. The precious blood of Christ is what it says. And so what did God redeem us from? What did God redeem us with? And lastly, we close out. What did God redeem us for? We find this in 20 and following. He redeemed us, what? Underline this in your Bibles. But was manifest in the last time for the sake of you. The reason for your redemption is for you. Do you see that? And we're going to get into the next part. But it, it does say God's redemption is for you. That's the reason you were redeemed. It's for your sake. The reason that God died was for you and for me. Amen? You are the reason for his redemption. Which says to me, back in John, that God loves the world. He loves people. So he had a plan for people. And because he loved us, it was for our sake he redeemed us. This is what he says. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only did he redeem us for himself, but he redeems us to show a lost world that there is only one way to God. See, the world right now says there's a lot of ways to God. We're all, God's at the top of the mountain. You've heard the picture. God's at the top of the mountain. There's a lot of ways up to God. You can choose Buddha. You can choose, choose to be a Hindu. You can choose to be a Muslim. You can choose to be whatever. You fill in the blank. Well, Jesus is saying here, no, I redeemed you for the world to know that there's only one way to me. That's what he says. 
in the following verses, who through him, who's to him? Jesus. There is only one way to God. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 6. Peter tells us again here in 1 Peter, there is only one way. So another reason for your redemption and my redemption is to show a lost world, hey, hey, there is only one way. No, no. Hindus, you got it wrong. Muslims, you got it wrong. And the list goes on. There is but one way to God the Father, and it's through the precious blood of Christ Jesus. That is the only way to get to God. And so he uses redemption as a way to show a lost world, hey, I know you think you got a better idea, but this is the only way to get to me. It's through the blood of Christ. The next thing it shows us is this. What else did he redeem us for? It's to show us the power of Christ. That the only way to be redeemed is through the power of Christ. So he, he gives it to us for us. He gives us to it for the world. And he says, hey, I want to show you my great power through your redemption. That's amazing to me that God uses redemption to show us his great power. There is only one way. And the last thing that we see for us, when we begin to really believe that we've been redeemed and we've been set free and we have been rescued for God. It's for a lost world. It's for ourselves. And ultimately, it's what he says in the very last few words of 21. Who raised him, Christ, from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The next thing that we see, he redeemed us for our faith and our hope. Faith is this. It enables believers to trust God for necessary grace in the midst of life's present circumstances, struggles, and anxiety. So God has saved us for our faith because he knows we've just come out of it. We're going to go back into it. Hey, troubles are coming. And so he saves us and gives us faith because he knows we're going to hit some trials. And because we're hitting trials, we need a faith that says, okay, it's not okay, but it is okay. And not only does he give us faith, but he gives us hope. Hope enables belief and future grace to be revealed for them, the believer, in heavenly glory. So it gives the faith that it's going to be okay and gives the hope it's really going to be okay. Amen? And ultimately it goes back to this. Our redemption from our minds, from our way of life, from our traditions, from all that we talked about this morning, ultimately go back to this. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So underline glory in your Bible so that your faith and hope are in God. It ultimately goes back to the glory of God. Our redemption points us all the way back to the glory of God. That God would save us and redeem us so that he would receive all the honor and all the glory and all the power in our lives. Is that true for you and me this morning? See, it's not just that we have to be saved from hell, but we have to be saved to something else. Because if we're just saved from hell, hell won't be enough. I promise that. If you're just getting saved to stay out of hell, it's not going to be enough. That will get old and stale pretty quick. 
But are we saved to the glory of God? Because that never runs dry. That never gets old. Praising and worship God is going to last for eternity. And that ought to capture our heart here this morning. Amen? And so our redemption. Yes, we've been saved from sin. We've been saved by the blood of Christ. And we've been saved for the glory of God. Amen? Let me pray. You tell us, God, in Psalm 79, 9. And the ultimate, it's for the glory of God that He redeems us. God, it's for Your glory and our good that You redeem us. That You do for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves. We, there's not enough money. There's not enough uh, jewels. There's not enough righteous things that we can do to pay the penalty of our sin. And yet you, through your son Jesus, made a way. And so I pray for us this morning, God, that we would see ourselves for who we truly are, redeemed children of God, and we would rejoice in that. God, I pray that there's anyone in here this morning that would question, man, am I really redeemed? And am I, am I really living the life of an obedient child that says, yes, I want to be holy because God is holy? God, I pray through your spirit this morning that you bring great and deep conviction. And God, I pray if there's children of you that have wandered from you, I pray this morning you would speak clearly to them. And you would remind us that you have delivered us from our flesh our passions, our desires, our ignorance. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We're no longer useful, but we have great purpose. You have a plan for us, you tell us. You've redeemed us from our tradition, God. God, I pray that we would be so captured this morning in our hearts and you'd stir our affections because of your great work through your son Jesus on the cross. All the wonders of redemption. May they never get old. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.